right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Southridge. I'm Pastor Troy. Glad that you're here today. You know, every week uh, I, I try to start off the service with just a, a, a real simple encouragement for you. And, and, and usually what happens, I get up early Sunday morning and just kind of spend some time in prayer saying, Lord, what, what is it? What, what's the, the encouraging word? And I think the encouraging thought or word today is this, is that you matter to God. You matter to God. doesn't matter where you're at in life, what you're dealing with, what you're going through, what you're facing, what you've come out of, what you're, <laughs> what you're dealing with. It doesn't matter that, because you matter to God. And, and the side point or the second thought to that is this, is that you are not worthless, you are valuable. You are not worthless, you are valuable. I know a lot of times we struggle because we think that somehow, some way that we're just worthless and you're not. You're, you're very valuable to God. So I just want to encourage you with that today. So, Lord, I thank you for the service today. I thank you for what you're about to do in each one of our lives. Have your way. Lord, speak loudly and clearly to each one of us. Lord, we matter to you. You, you love us. You have great plans for us, Lord. Open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, last week, you know, Jennifer was sick, and, uh, and I purposely did not sleep in the same room for like two or three days. I'm convinced that she got up in the middle of the night when I was sleeping and came down and gave me a kiss. Because <laughs> now I have the same thing, so bear with me. Uh, welcome, glad you're here. How about them Huskers? <laughs> Jeez. Well, there's always next year. Hey, what do you do, right? <laughs> You know, man, wow. Anyway, we'll move right on and talk about something that matters. It's serial killers. How's that? So here's what we're doing. Uh, if you're here for the very first time, we're kicking off a brand new series. We do message series here where we talk about the, uh, the same topic or the same direction for several weeks in a row. And we're going to be talking for the next few weeks about serial killers, and, and not like serial killers you normally think about. We're going to be talking about the things that are potentially in us that try to kill our spiritual relationship with God. And so we're going we're to be talking about that, trying to expose or bring that to light, <clears throat> the serial killers in our own lives, the things that sneak around in the dark places of our hearts and look for opportunities to kill our spiritual relationship with God. That's, that's what we're looking at. And so most of us, though, when we think of serial killers, you tend to think of the, the Charles Mansons, the, you know, the Jack the Rippers, the Ted Bundys, the John Wayne Gacy's, you know, those kind of, the Jeffrey Dahmer kind of people, you know. And, and by the way, I was just curious, how many of you are afraid of clowns? Just, just, oh, wow, it's a lot higher than I thought it was. Okay, yeah. Let's pray for the clown people. <laughs> anyway, um, so, I mean, we got, you, you know, that's usually what we think about. You know, I was, it's funny because I was, I've been doing a lot of therapy, not mental therapy, but physical therapy, but, and, and so I'm talking to the guy, and I'm inviting him to service, you know, because I'm praying, Lord, how do, how, how do you want me to reach out to this young man and try to build a relationship with him, and actually maybe it's, it's for a purpose that I'm interacting with him so much, because I'm with him three times a week. And so I start talking about the series coming up, Serial Killer, and I realize as I'm talking, he's probably thinking, dude, 
this pastor is like into serial killers. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not, I'm not. So, Because I did find out a really weird statistic about serial killers that two-thirds of them, almost 70%, or right, oh, 68, 69% of them were bedwetters way into their early adolescence. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> Had nothing to do with anything, but I thought that was interesting. Anyway. So many of us, we have a fascination, you know, with, with serial killers. We really do. Um, you know, it's, you know, you watch the CSI movies, you know, or, or the crime scene shows. And, you know, the ones that have the serial killers, they kind of suck you in a little bit. I don't know why that is, you know, but we just have this fascination with it. <coughs> that, and really, you know, how could someone act like that or behave like that? You know, what were they thinking? You know, what, what goes, you know, pe- there's some people out there that spend their entire lives trying to figure out the mind of a serial killer. You know, the profiles. I was amazed when I started Googling serial killers and thoughts about how much stuff there is out there to talk about serial killers. You know, but it kind of freaks us out a little bit. You know, it, it, it kind of makes us go, ooh, you know, I mean, it, it makes us feel uncomfortable, especially with the idea of one being close by. I mean, that really freaks us out that somehow they're in our community or maybe even in our home because that's where we're going. We're going to talk about the heart that somehow that freaks us out a little bit, you know, and for the most part, <clears throat> excuse me, all of them operated in the secrecy of, of darkness or behind closed doors. So most of the stuff, when you start talking about this idea or concept of serial killers in our own lives, it's not something that's out in the open. It's not something that's readily out there and we just kind of constantly talk about it. Matter of fact, we're going to be talking about the things in this series that are not necessarily or normally talked about because they happen behind closed doors. You know, they happen behind the closed doors of our hearts, and, 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 and they're not something that's out there in the open. And, and, and for many, just like for many of the serial killers, there's something below the surface or just beyond the surface of what seems to be right and normal, but behind it is something really deadly and evil. And so for us, we're going to explore that. We're going to try to figure out what that means. Now, <clears throat> in my own life, um, you know, the things that caused me the greatest amount of stress or problem in my spiritual journey are, are, are not the things that are out here. You know what I mean? Meaning my circumstances, the situations that I face in life. Those are hard. I mean, I've faced some hard stuff. I, I've, I've went through some difficult times, and those were, those were crazy. I mean, that was hard. But to be very, very honest with you, the hardest thing that I ever face in my own spiritual journey are the things that are in here are the things that are in my heart, things that are in my attitude, things that are in my mind. I mean, that, th- those are the hard things. And so when we're talking about this series, that's really what we're talking about. What's in us? What's in us? Or what potentially is in us? When we start talking about maybe the potential of a serial killer in my home, in my heart, what's that look like? What's that mean? And so <clears throat> that's what we're talking about. Sorry, I keep trying to, everybody, here, we're going to do this a lot. Everybody, right now's the time. <clears throat> Sorry. So, so Jesus, he, he also spoke a lot about this idea of serial killers, and he did it in, in the context of, of things that are trying to steal your relationship with God. I mean, he, he constantly was talking about parables and talking to the Pharisees, and he, everybody he talked to, he was trying to deal with the issues that were trying to get people off course from a relationship with God over into this death you know, deadly experience of something else. And so God was, he, and Jesus was challenging people about the in us and the heart issue of where we're at. One of those in John 10.10, 10, 
Jesus was talking about a thief, and he was talking about a thief that comes in, and, and it says here, a thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. And what he's talking about is to destroy our opportunity to have a relationship with God. That somehow this thief that he's talking about is, is going to get a hold of our hearts in such a way that it rips out the opportunity. It steals from us the opportunity to have this God-given relationship with him for eternity. And that's what he's talking about. But then he contrasts that with what he's offering. So really, we have two deals on the table. We have this idea that this, this stealing, thieving, serial killer thing that's trying to steal my heart. And then you have God over here who's trying to restore my heart in relationship with him, and he comes and he contrasts that. He says, I have come in order that you might have life and life in all of its fullness. And so we have this contrast, and Jesus spoke about it all the time. Now, when we start to talk about the possibility of a serial killer in us, and I know I got to start there because I realize a lot of times when we start talking about some of the things we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, it's always easy to say, uh, yeah, I'm glad that this, that person right over there is here because they really need to hear this. And we can't quite see it in ourselves, right? <laughs> I mean, come on, don't, yeah, I, you, if you could see everybody's heads looking at somebody else right now. <laughs> anyway, and so this possibility of a serial killer, what tends to be our normal response is, God, there are areas of my life that are off limits, so please stay away. God, I, I don't want you to be messing with this area of my life. I don't, I don't want you to talk about this, this area or, or try to expose this area of my life. And really what we are saying is I don't want you to shine the light of the truth of who you are upon the darkness of my heart because it's not pretty. That's the reality. And, 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 and that's really what we're saying. And so we, we have to deal with that. And the truth is, is our hearts are incredibly deceitful. They will lie to us. Our hearts will lie to us. They will tell us we're okay when we're not okay. They will co convey to us it's okay to do or be a part of this over here or that and that and that when it's absolutely not. And so we desperately, desperately, desperately need God to expose by the light of his truth the darkness that's in our hearts. And so that needs to take place. So the real issue here is for this series is this, and, and, and I probably ask this every week, how much access am I willing to give God? When it comes to my heart and my life and who I am as a person, how much am I willing to let God come in and expose who I am? Because uh, that, really, that really plays into this whole series. Because if I'm saying, ah, God, I don't, I, I'm going I'm to keep you over here and off limits and just, just out of reach. I'm going to keep you over there. I'm not going to let you come in close. Then this whole series is going to be kind of like, oh, okay. But if you come in and you say, Lord, I'm going to give you access. I'm going to let you have the, uh, an, an opportunity to come to the deep places of who I am. And I'm going to be willing to listen to what is being said every week and say, God, come, change my life because I know I desperately need you. Do I give God access? How much access, access, is, access am I willing to give God? And, and so let me ask two questions that kind of go along with that. Number one is this, is are you looking for God's truth in your life? Are you actually looking for it? I hope that you're here today because for some reason or another, you're here because maybe God is stirring something in you spiritually that you know that you're this spiritual being, that God might have the truth for your life, that there might be an answer with God. You're not even really exactly sure, and that's okay because God's not freaked out about that. But you're looking for God's truth. You're looking for it. You're actually saying, I hope I find it. I, I'm, I'm looking for it. I, maybe today in the message or, or maybe in experience or maybe in a life group or wherever it might be, you're looking for the answers that God has. That's a great place to be. Are you looking for God? And the second question is this, is are you open to God? 
Are you open to God? Because sometimes when you look, you find stuff, and then you got to decide, am I open to this now? Because you found it, and what am I going to do with it? And so are you open to God's truth, even if it's different than how you live? Are you open to it? Are you saying, Lord, you know what? I've been looking for the truth, and now I see the truth, and I realize that I'm not exactly where the truth says I should be, or it's not exactly how it should be in my own heart. Am I open to have you do what you want to do in my life, even though it's going to be hard? Well, I think that's a great place to be. So how much access are you willing to give God? So of all the serial killers that, that seek to destroy our relationship with God, pride, and that's the one we're going to talk about today, pride is probably at the top of the list. It's at the top of the list. And we're going to talk about all kinds of different serial killers over the next few weeks, but pride has got to be the first one. Because a lot of everything, a lot of the other ones that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks actually come out of pride come out of the proud heart and so so here we go so why is it at the top of the list why is it so important it, it's the most natural here, here's you know this isn't in your handout but just some thoughts it's the most natural and what that means is that it's part of the broken nature of who we are in other words when we fall down we fall down into pride when, when, when just when we just go to where we want to go we go to independence we don't go to dependence when we fall down and, and, and life just kind of goes wherever the gravity of life goes, we don't go to, God, I give you everything. We go to, God, I want to do whatever I want to do. It's the most natural. Second part of it is this, is it, 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 why it's so important is it's the most dangerous. It's the most dangerous. And here's a few reasons from Proverbs. I'll just throw out a few of them. First one in Proverbs 16, pride goes before destruction. Pride goes before destruction. I looked up the word destruction and trying to get a real good definition of what that means in, in the original languages and stuff like that. And it simply means, means this, to lose everything. Pride is what goes before you losing everything. And you put whatever, I mean, losing your marriage, losing your, your health, I mean, whatever it might be. I mean, you just lose everything. It's losing everything. So that's pretty dangerous. Second one is pride. In Proverbs 11, pride leads to disgrace. And when I first read this, I was like, okay, disgrace. What in the world does that mean? So I looked this one up too, and you know what it means? Disgrace literally means shame. Pride leads to shame. Pride leads to shame. So it's the most dangerous <clears throat> because it creates in me this sense of worthlessness. I mean, which is kind of the opposite of what we would think it would be. You would think that if you're going to have pride, you'd have this incredible sense of worth. But it says in Scripture that pride is so dangerous that it deceives you, and you end up just the opposite of where you thought it was going to take you. It ends up leading you to a place of worthlessness, not great worth. And so pride is dangerous because of that disgrace that it takes me to. And the third thing there is it says that pride leads to conflicts. Those who take advice are wise, and really... The word conflict, I looked that up, and it, it, in the Greek, it's the word rib, <laughs> or reeb, depending on how you pronounce it. I thought about that. I wonder if it was where we get the word rib. They're ribbing me, you know, kind of, nobody's ever heard that. Everybody kind of like, what's he talking about? I mean, that, that somehow when I'm part of pride, and this is how scripture co correlates this, that every time that there's pride in the situations of our lives, it's directly connected to fights and quarrels and strife in our lives. So if you're experiencing today in your family strife and fights and quarrels or you're battling with people, you're constantly in a fight, there's a good chance that pride is somewhere really close to it. Because pride 
stirs up more fights. That's what it does. So, so the danger there is obviously destructive shame and fights. I mean, that's, that's what's going to happen. So pride, let me throw out a couple thoughts, and then we'll jump into a, a, a little bit of a discussion about Saul the king. Pride is driven by two things. And let's just kind of have a little lesson here. Pride is driven by two things. First one, pride is driven by our own arrogance. Our own arrogance. In other words, in Timothy, Second uh, Timothy 3, 4, it says puffed up. In other words, we're all swollen up with our own arrogance, with our own self-value, our own self-importance. We think we're all that in the bag of chips when really all we are is crumbs. You know, that kind of deal. I mean, it just, and, and we're arrogant about it. We're, we're just, you know, lately I've been getting into, I, I confess, I, I watch American Idol. I, I do. I mean, I could, couldn't tell you who won, but I'd like it. I watch it, and, you know, and I really liked it back with Simon. And I found out that Simon is actually doing a new show called X Factor. So I'm like, dude, I'm all over this X Factor thing now. So it's on my DVR. I'm recording it. I'm watching it, you know. And, you know, there's certain people that get on there that I love. I love it when you get somebody that doesn't know that they're great, and they just go for it, and they just bring it. You know, you're like, man, that is so cool. She's 13. Doesn't even know she's awesome. It is beautiful. You know, it's like cool. And then you get somebody that's like so full of themselves, you can't stand them. I mean, you're like wanting to throw something at the TV. You know, you're just getting mad all the time. You, I mean, and in my heart, this is how evil my heart is, I'm hoping that they crash and burn in a flame of fire. You know? And there's one girl on there. She's got these fake tattoos on the side of her face, and she put fake tattoos all over the side of her leg. And I mean, and she just, I mean, she comes on, and I just go, ugh, 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 I mean, it just ugh, makes me mad. I just don't even want to watch her, you know? And worst thing about it, she is kind of good. She can sing. So that even makes it worse, you know? So she gets on, and so they say, well, do you think you have to, what it takes to be the next X Factor $5 million winner? She said, I've already won. I'm like, what the, who is this girl? Somebody get her out of there. But she's so arrogant, it's disgusting. I mean, but that's, you know, anyway, just, I'm just venting here. <laughs> so arrogance shows up in many ways, right? So that's one way. I mean, it shows up at X factors, but Sometimes it shows up in, in how I view my time, that I view my time as being more important than your time. That, that, that can be arrogant. You can be arrogant about your time. My time's the only time that matters. You know, and you're, you're always demanding of everybody else's time, but when it goes the other way, it doesn't seem to work the same way. <laughs> you know, that, that, there's arrogance in that. that. That my stuff is more important than your stuff. That somehow my stuff is more valuable than your stuff. I mean, your stuff, oh, hey, who cares? But my stuff, hey, 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 don't be touching my stuff, right? There's, there's an arrogance about that. And then how about my skills, like the one I mentioned with the girl? My skills are so much greater than yours. And some of that might be true. There might be the fact that there is a little bit beta, but, but you're puffed up about it. I'm arrogant about it. See, pride is driven by that arrogance, you know, and that my skills are greater than yours. Or, or maybe it'll say things like, I'm entitled to that. I deserve the best. Or, or, or arrogance will say things like, I don't have to do that, or I won't do that, or that's below me. They should serve me. I shouldn't be serving them. It's arrogant. And see, a lot of times pride is arrogant. And see, we know that kind of arrogant real quickly because it's, it's a little bit easier to see in people. And you're like, okay, I get that. 
Then the flip side of that, though, is that pride is driven by our own insecurity. Now, I know in me, I have a lot of insecurity. I've, I've wrestled with insecurity most of my life. And you know what? It goes back to pride. It's a pride issue. It's an issue of pride. It's just, it's in reverse form, <laughs> you know? And, and, and it's kind of weird because here's what happens. It's the fear of not measuring up, that I can't seem to measure up to everybody else. And I think a lot of people struggle with this side of insecure, I mean, pride as much as the arrogant side. The arrogant side, again, it's easy to see. The insecurity side of it, though, is a little bit harder. It's, it's this fear that I'm not measuring up. And so pride then becomes a mask to try to appear to be stronger in control. I'm, I'm going to put on a mask. I'm going to put on a show. I'm going to let everybody think that I got it going on, but I really don't got it going on. It really doesn't happen. And so the insecurity of pride will drive you to compete and compare yourself with those around you all the time. Because you've got to be looking, man, am I any better than that one? I think I'm better than that one. Not better than that one, but I'm better than that one. And you get, you get in this competing and comparing thing. It's insecurity, and really it's pride in a form of insecurity. Because you're competing and comparing yourself with others. So the fear that my clothes or my house or, or my car will look cheap compared to someone else's clothes or house or car. <laughs> that somehow my thing doesn't measure up. So I'm always competing with them and comparing it. And I'm looking at it. And, and some of the other things that we're going to talk about in the series come out. Because I'm looking at other people's going, man, I wish I had that. And I don't because of pride and insecurity. And, and by the way, and it doesn't matter if your car is an 88K car or a 2013 Acura. Doesn't matter. Because you always compare yourself kind of where you're at. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter. It's all relative. I mean, it, it really doesn't matter. Well, I don't have anything, so I, don't, I guess that's not an issue for me. No, you can have nothing and still have this problem, the insecurity. So how do I know, how do I know if the serial killer of pride is in my home or in my heart, how do I know? I mean, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little test here today. We're going to look at the life of Samuel. I mean, look at the life of King Saul in 1 Samuel. And we're going to try to learn or figure out how do I find out if it's in me? How do I know if it's in me? So 1 Samuel chapter 9 through 15, I encourage you to go read the whole thing sometime this week. But here's the, here's the basics of the story. Israel, God's people, were, were out there and God had kind of set them free from Egypt and they were kind of doing their thing and they were doing a little bit of this. They didn't really know what to do and sometimes they'd do really good and other times they'd do really bad. And God would just keep being gracious to them and being their God and, and watching over them. And finally the Israelites started looking around and said, hey, that country over there, they got a king. They got a king. We want a king. And God, God said, uh, I, I'm going to be your king. So, no, 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 we want a king. We want a king. And so they start demanding a king from God. And finally God says, okay, I, you're rejecting me as your king, and you want a guy to be your king? Okay, I'll give you a guy that's going to be your king. And so God chooses Saul to be the king of Israel. And he, so he picks Saul, this, this guy that's tall. He's really tall, tall Saul. He was head and shoulders, it said. You know, he's a big guy. And, and so he picks him, and, and he started out great with God. Matter of fact, it says in 1 Samuel 10 that God even gave him a new nature. God, God said, okay, hey, I'm going to give you the best chance to make it. I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to give you my presence. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you everything you can to make it. 
And so that started happening. Now, now Saul had some issues, though. He, w- he was reluctant to be the leader, and he was insecure in his position. Matter of fact, there's one place that said that when they first appointed him king, he actually went and hid himself behind, behind all the baggage, behind all the supplies, because he was so scared of being the king. It was pride. It was its first inclination that there was something going on in his heart. Pride was knocking on the door of his heart. And so what happened is Saul, sure enough, became king. And he, because of God's favor and his obedience to God, God gave him victory after victory after victory. And Saul was the man. But as time went on, the serial killer of pride began to sneak in and creep into his heart. And he began to lose touch with who he was and where he was supposed to be and what God was saying about him, and he began to allow pride to creep into his heart. And so there was three things that happened, and we'll, we'll see them in just a second here. But before we do that, look at verse, uh, I mean, 1 Samuel chapter 12. Samuel gives a promise, and this promise is to us as well. It says, all will go well with you, all of us, if you honor the Lord your God. Serve him. Means make yourself available. Honor him means, means lift him above everything else. Serve him means make yourself available. Listen to him obviously means give your ear to the voice of God. Don't listen to everybody else. And obey him. Do what God wants you to do. I mean, you, you, you do those things and God will be with you. It will all go well. And if you and your king do this, follow him, I mean, God's going to be with you. But if you do not listen to the Lord but disobey his commands, he will be against you and your king. He said, here's the deal. Just like Jesus talking about this, the, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you life full. I mean, there's, there's two things going on here. So he goes and he said, okay, but this. So again, as king, he goes on. And the king, Saul, he begins to have success, success, success. And by the way, success many times will bring out of us this pride attitude because now we think that we did something. Sometimes the most arrogant people or those that had some success in life. Sometimes those, that, the girl that can sing a little bit, I hope she goes down in a flame of fire, but she can sing. She's had some success. And so all of a sudden it starts to creep in. And so how can we recognize the serial killer of pride in us? And there's three things that I think we can pull out from this story. The first one is this, is that pride is knocking on the door when we are more concerned about the people, what people think about us instead of what God wants from us. First Samuel chapter 13 says, and Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. In other words, there was a battle that they weren't winning, and things were not good, and they needed God in this situation. The men were trembling with fear, and Saul waited for there seven days for Samuel. As Samuel had instructed him earlier, God was testing him to see if he was still being obedient. God will test you as well, test me. But Samuel didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were red, rapidly slipping away. In other words, they were chanting, Saul, Saul, Saul. Now they're like, I'm going home, I'm going home. They were bailing. And so it goes on. So he demanded, bring me the burnt offerings and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. The problem was he wasn't the priest and it wasn't his place to do it. He wasn't supposed to do that. That wasn't obedient. So it goes on, bring me the burnt offering, I mean, excuse me, Burnt offering. So just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. So, uh, arrived. Saul went out to meet him and welcome him. He could just, hey, dude, what's up? And Samuel realized, man, you already did the sacrifice. You already, you already tried to do what I was supposed to do. You were supposed to wait, and you did something other. And so he said, what have you done? And really what was going on here is 
Saul was more concerned about winning the favor of his men than winning the heart of God. He was afraid of being found out as a failure, as a king, and so he was working incredibly hard to never let anybody know who he really was. He was still an insecure, full of pride king. And at the moment that the people were saying, hey, hey, he started, he started giving in to the people. He started giving in to what everybody else wanted. And really what was going on is that his pride was driving him, listen to this closely, to be artificial. His pride was driving him to be artificial, to put on a show, to, to act, to act like he was, being, he was rich, or to act like he was rich when really he was poor. He was poor in spirit, he was poor in heart. To act like he knew the answer when really he had no clue. To act like he was in control when really his life was out of control. He was acting. And see, it was all because he, wanted, he, wanted, he was more concerned about what people thought than what God wanted. He was trying to appear as something that he was not. That's number one. Number two is that we position ourselves to be the deciding factor on how obedience is defined. We position ourselves to be the deciding factor on how obedience is defined. 1 Samuel 15. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army has declared. I have decided to settle accounts. God decided. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalekite for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire nation of Am Am Amakite nation. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, donkeys, bugs, birds, all of it. Seems pretty harsh. Here's the deal. At some point, I almost left that part out. You know why I almost left it out? Because I thought, man, that's so hard. Babies, moms, dads. But here's the deal. At some point... God finally says, enough. At some point, God finally says, enough. In other words, at some point, the holy, righteous character of who God is comes to its fulfillment, and he says, that's enough. And at that time, there's judgment. I mean, I'm not trying to freak you out, but I just want you to re realize that if I took that part out, you know what I would have been taken out? I would have been taken out a characteristic of God and his holiness. He can't put up with it forever, and he won't. And so there he goes, you know, he's dealing with this thing. So then it goes on, 1 Samuel 15, 9, says, Saul and his men spared Agag, who was the king of these Amalekites, who, who they were not supposed to do, what they were not supposed to do, and kept the best sheep and goats and cattle and the fat calves and lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. <laughs> like, hey, I'd like some of that. Hey, I like that. Hey, I like that. Hey, I like that. And then he started grabbing everything. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. And really what was going on is that their opinions were trumping God's opinion. In other words, it was my decision to decide what's obedient. It was my decision to decide what's right. It's my decision to decide what I can do and what I can't do. God doesn't have any play with this. I'm going to decide. And see, pride is knocking at the door if that's what I'm doing. If I'm saying my opinion matters more than anybody else's opinion, even God's, then pride is knocking at the door of my heart. And so from the beginning of our broken world, the pride of being like God has always been an issue. And when we begin to define obedience in our own terms and our own rules, we fall into the dangerous serial killer trap of pride. And really, it's counterfeit. 
It's counterfeit holiness. It's counterfeit obedience. It's counterfeit religious pride. Because my own opinion is greater than God's opinion. And I try to justify it, which then it goes to the next one. Number, <laughs> I did it again. Number three. I'm trying to learn how to hold up three fingers when I say number three. Because every time I go like this or this. One. So the last one here. So the first one is we know pride's in us if we're more concerned about what people think than about what God wants. We know pride's knocking on the door of our heart if we position ourselves by deciding to be the deciding factor of obedience. And number three is we re- when we respond, excuse me, we respond to correction by, de- by being defensive. By being defensive. Now I know nobody in here would ever do that. Come on. We do that, don't we? So it says, look at this. You know, by the way, pride is a product of self-love. In other words, that self-exaltation. I'm going to exalt myself. That's pride has that characteristic. First Samuel 15, just a little bit later on, is Samuel comes to Saul and he says, Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush to the pl- for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? And listen to Saul's response. But I did obey the Lord. <laughs> He's like, what? You didn't obey the Lord. The Lord said, take them all out. Get rid of all of it. And I can hear sheep and I can see, I mean, there's King Agag right there. What are you talking about? He gets defensive. He's being corrected, but he's being defensive. And see, here's what happens. Or let me ask a question. When someone says something that points out a fault in your life, how do you respond? How do you respond? Hey, I noticed that you've been a real jerk lately. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) How do you respond? Because see, pride will respond, yeah, but. I'm like that, but. You're like. You you get all defensive. You know, and, and see, because here's what it is. Pride is a form of idol worship. And you know who the idol is? Me. And so if somebody criticizes me or tries to correct me or comes against me, they're attacking my little God. They're attacking my exaltedness. They're attacking me. <laughs> they're coming against me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defend that. I'm gonna, you can't correct me. I'm going to defend it. That's pride. You say, well, what if they're wrong? It's like, okay. I mean, sometimes you just got to know when to just be quiet. And so it's a pride. We make ourselves to be this little God. As a result, when people say something about us that needs to be changed, we resist and fight because we feel as though we have to protect the integrity of our little God. And so if you're criticized, you react with defense. If you're corrected, you react with defense. If you get passed over for the job, you react with defense and even add a little bit more to it and become resentful. Why is that? Because pride is knocking at the door. So here's the reality for us all. Someday, someday, we're all going to stand before God. Someday, all of us will. I mean, it, it's just one of those things that's going to happen. And we're going to stand before God, and, and, and we're going to kind of be asked, I don't know exactly how it's going to be, but there's going to be this kind of accounting, if you will, of what's going to go on. 
And, and, and they're not going to ask, you won't be asked questions like this. What do people think of you? I just want to know, what do they think of you? Did they like you? They won't ask that. That question won't be asked. Or, or, or let, me, let me see, uh, how was your appearance? Were, were you looking fine? won't matter. That, that won't be the question. It won't be, you look good, you look the part, you, you, had, you had the image. It won't be the question at all. What, or, or, here, here's another. How did you compare with the others? You know, you know those Joneses? How'd you compare to them? I mean, how'd you compare to them? I mean, surely you were better than them. That won't be the question. It won't even be on the table. It won't even be part of the discussion. It won't matter. Or, 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 here's the other one. How good was you? How good was your defense? When somebody would criticize you and correct you and, and, and point out things that weren't quite right in your life, how good did you rationalize and justify and make yourself look okay even though they brought it out in the open? Ain't going to ask that. That's not going to happen. It's not going to matter because the only thing that's going to matter at that point is not those things, but who are you? Who are you? Are you a serial killer that's under that control of pride or are you under the control of another? Who are you? All those other things won't matter. So as the worship team comes, how do you catch a serial killer of pride? How do you catch it? How do you catch a serial, serial, <laughs> try saying that about five times in a row, serial killer, serial killer, serial killer, serial killer. <laughs> By the end of the series, I will have this down. How to catch the serial killer of pride. Most would just say this, just don't be proud, <laughs> right? Stop, <laughs> stop being proud. It's a good answer. But the problem is, is if you're not proud, what are you? What are you then? What are you? See, the, the, the key here is not just stopping being proud. The key is, is replacing it with the right thing. See, the key is to replace pride with humility. Humility. What? Humility. You know what humility means? I, I kind of dig some research. It's a choice, it's a choice to lay low. To lay low. Or in our terms, to bow down. It's a choice to bow down out of loving submission to another. That's what it has to do with. So all of a sudden we have this idea that Jesus said, Hey, I'm going to give you life to the full. I'm going to die on a cross for you. And I'm asking you to give your life up to lay low in humility before me. And that's how you kill this serial killer of pride. There's a quote I came across, I love it. The truth is, pride must die in you or nothing in heaven can live in you. And humility means this. It's it's allowing God to determine the value of my life. I can't let anybody in this room determine whether or not I'm valuable. I can't do it. Some of you, I I hope you like me. I hope you appreciate me, I mean all that, but if I'm going to look to you to define whether or not I'm valuable or not, man, that's got some pride in it. Not humility. Humility says, God, only you can define if I'm worthwhile. Only you can define whether I'm valuable or not. And I'm going to come looking to you when I go to try to figure out whether or not I am or not. 
what you want. See, humility is, is allowing God to decide what's obedience in my life, what's not. I, it's not my opinion. It's, humility is saying, Lord, my opinion is second to yours. My opinion is always following whatever you say, God, because I'm surrendered to your opinion. Humility says, I give an, God, I'm giving you, God, an open door to my heart. I'm giving you full access to correct me even when I'm wrong, God. And if somebody else you're going to use to do it, then I'm going to let them be a part of it too. God, I'm open. I, you can have access. Scripture says, James 4, God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. But he favors the humble. Humility. So what's that look like? Looks like this. It looks like I, I finally come to the place and I realize, you know what, God? I need you to define who I am. God, I, I, I need you to make sure that the decisions you have for my life are the biggest decisions. They're the best decisions. And so what I do is I choose to bow. I choose to come to my knees before you choose to lay low. I choose to submit to you out of loving submission, not because you're forcing me, because God, all you do is love me. And I bow. I come to that place, I say, Lord, everything I am is yours. Everything I am, Lord, every decision, every direction, Lord, I give you access fully to my heart, God. I'm surrendering to you. I humbly bow saying, Lord, have your way. Let it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.